Welcome to New Money, I'm Brian Hirsch and for those who are first time viewers to our program, just let me share you what you and your money is all about. Uh, this program has been going for over 15 years. We focus every week on a different subject. There are six subjects I deal with. I deal with estate, tax and retirement planning. I deal with investments. I deal with short term and then I deal, deal with general estate and trust planning. And this evening we're going to focus on healthcare. We've come to the second month um, of 2022 and where schemes have yet not increased their premium, members are still aware of the effects on their take-home pay and for those in retirement particularly how it affects their income. I know Discovery's rate will increase by 7.9% on the 1st of May and many of the other schemes will also be increasing their rates. And joining me this evening is Clayton Simsudin, his group CEO of Phoenix FSG. Clayton, once again, good to have you on the programme. Clayton, you know, we've seen quite a lot um, of, of people, you know, at the end of last year we spoke a lot about the effects of medical care, medical insurance, medical aids over the next 10 to 15 years, when the younger people who don't think they need it will suddenly find out that as you get older, you do need it. Uh, what is the imp impact, um, what is the impact going to be of these increases and have you found that many members are finding it just too hard to keep up comprehensive medical aids? Uh, thanks Brian and thank you uh, for having me. Uh, let me first just start out by saying that, you know, previous years as you know, uh, our annual increases was CPIX plus uh, 3%. And fortunately for us, the pandemic had not had the impact on medical schemes as we had previously thought. Uh, and so we see that the medical scheme increases were averaging around CPIX and some less. Um, but yes, you know, consumers are cash trapped. And what we see now is this big reset uh, that COVID has caused. And the result is that I call it, you know, that uh, consumers are optimizing their spend across all financial products, not just healthcare. So yes, there has been downgrades and I think it's been because everyone is just re-looking at what are they spending in relation to what they actually need. And so yes, there has been downgrades um, and I think that that trend is going to continue into the future as, you know, the behavior changes from, you know, this better safe than sorry to rather optimizing uh, your insurance spend. Clayton, aren't you being a little bit optimistic because over the last two years we've had COVID, a lot of elective surgery and, and, and checkups that people may have had, which medical aid would have paid for, has not really occurred. So although you've got a high increase from discovery, you've got a lower scheme rate from Benitas and Momentum and other medical aids. But isn't that a bit distorted because a lot of what the costs that would be borne by medical aid, particularly as I say over the last two years, hasn't actually come to fruition? Yeah, well, I think what we've seen is exactly that scenario that I'm sketching is the behaviour change. So, you know, because the electives has not been done as previously, and I think just the kind of the manner in which we live now is, is totally different. So if you look at sanitizing, you look at mask wearing, you look at all that type of precautions, uh, typically uh, kind of, you know, diseases that, that would, we would infect one another with is not happening that often. So you find people are going less to, to doctors and GPs and so forth. And I think that less claiming patterns is going to bode well for us and consumers going into the future. So I think the behavior change is definitely going to cause people to reconsider what they are purchasing and also what health care they are actually accessing from time to time. Do you think we've broken the back of medical aid increases on a yearly basis plus 
in, uh, inflation plus a small increase, 3% above that? It certainly seems like it. Uh, when I looked at uh, the tax credit increases uh, announced in the budget speech, that's also gone up by 4.5%. So, you know, you may say, like, what is 15 Rand? Uh, but I have to say, you know, it's all in line with uh, what has been expected in terms of increases. Everything's in line with inflation, and that's really good news for everyone. You know, what you didn't want was to have a 9% increase or 10% or double-digit increase, which we've experienced before. Then let, let's talk about, uh, I read a report from Sirigo underwriting managers who expressed the enormous increase in take-up, number one, on GAP, mm -hmm. and GAP cover, we're going to talk about GAP, and then the enormous amount of increase in claims and the concerns. Now, I myself had just experienced a claim where my medical aid did not pick up the claim for some radiology tests, um, and my, my GAP cover didn't pick it up either. And I know when I consulted with you, and thank you for that, I, you, you were able to say, well, this is what my currently gap cover is all about. And these are other gap covers, slightly more expensive, but giving a lot wider range. So firstly, how important is gap cover? The second question is, not every gap cover is exactly the same. And so many people think, you know, the same as I've got a retirement plan and I'm going to have enough at retirement, but there's no correlation between your retirement plan and how much money you've got versus the income you need. And that's we'll deal with in another program. But with medical aid and gap cover, I mean, there are differences between just a straight gap cover and a gap cover with other benefits. Just share it. Yeah. Um, Brian, let me maybe start off by saying that I think uh, an important consideration, which I think people don't really take note of, is the subtleties in the change in the benefit structure. So year on year, we see co-payments, deductibles, sublimits. That means what is typically paid for by the scheme under major medical or risk benefits are increasing in terms of the percentage that the member must pay. So we're talking here about last year we saw these co-payments and deductibles increase by 4 to 5%. That means it's a transfer of risk from the medical scheme to the member. And if the member has gap cover, it unfortunately means the gap cover is going to have to pick up the tab for that increases over time. You are correct that yes, there is a huge take up on gap cover. And why? Because people are realizing that medical schemes are not covering all of the benefits in full. So they must have gap cover. I am a, you know, a prophet of saying that you cannot have a medical scheme without gap, gap cover or believe that you are fully covered without having gap cover. On the topic of um, gap cover is in options, uh, you'll find that gap cover products have got several options just like a medical scheme. Uh, and so some provide a basic level of cover, whereas others have got a higher level or a more comprehensive level of cover. In your case, unfortunately, your particular product did not provide for MRI and CT scans cover out of hospital. And therefore, you know, we get back to that point of a comprehensive needs analysis. Your advisor must know exactly what your medical scheme offers and match the benefit from the gap cover to your medical scheme shortfalls as well as your needs. So do you need, as an example, specialist out-of-hospital cover? Do you need casualty out-of-hospital cover? Or do you want to be covered for cancer co-pays, international travel, uh, you know, penalty cover if you use a non-DSP? Those are all type of covers that one need to consider when doing this analysis. So Clayton, you, you made the point about the increase in co-payments. Co you made the point about increases in medical aids being slightly below inflation. 
don't you have to take these, so for the, the healthy individuals, they, they got the increase and they don't really feel it. But for those who need medical help, they're actually feeling the co-payments. You've actually got to add that to the actual increase in the medical aid. So it's not exactly uh, in line with inflation. There's always some catches. Absolutely correct. Yeah. But, but let me ask this question. Many people believe if I downgrade from a comprehensive medical aid to a hospital plan, and let's assume you buy a sophisticated and a more all-round gap cover, does that equal a comprehensive medical aid? Okay, let me first just say that, you know, let us not get um, the semantics of this word comprehensive does not really mean you've got comprehensive cover. So let me just say that on hospital plans as it is, some of them or rather they all provide a basic level of cover across the board. Where does the differences really come in is with the chronic cover. So some cover for 28 conditions only uh, and I've added COVID to that and some cover up to 60 conditions. So that's basically one of the big differences. Now the other difference comes into the level of day-to-day -day cover that you purchase. So when we're adding gap cover to your medical aid, we are actually enhancing your major medical cover so that you don't have co-payments, sublimits, deductibles, cancer co-pays whilst in hospital. That's what we're doing. So we're taking your specialist rate of reimbursement, let's say from 100% or 200% right up to 600%. We are not saying that you're going to have extra medical savings account or your self-payment gap's going to be covered. That's not what we're saying. So I think we, un we need to understand the terminology and the semantics around it, I think, a lot better. So when I talk about, in some of my programs, estate tax investment planning yeah. and how you go about, you know, particularly trust planning, when it comes to healthcare, it's, a, it's got its own set of rules and one really needs to do an absolute comprehensive. And as I've said on this program, I have no vested interest who you deal with, when, you, but you do need a healthcare consultant. It doesn't cost you more because most medical aids have got this built in, whether you use it or not. Good. So, you know, a lot of people think like the end of the tax year, if you didn't take out retirement annuity, you lost the tax benefit. Mm. With healthcare, you don't, it doesn't cost you more, and I advise individuals because it is getting costly. So let me ask you, what are the differences between medical scheme and primary healthcare products? And how, there's a new circular that's been released by the Council for Medical Schemes how does this affect it? So, firstly, the differences, and has there been um, a, 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 a now a, a, take, a, a downgrade of a primary health care? Okay, so it's unfortunately, you know, we have this thing almost every two years for the last couple of years, Brian. Uh, I want to deal with Circular 9 of 2022, which has now extended primary health care products until 31st March 2024. So what that means is that what we know as previously known as medical insurance is now extended for another two years. And why? Because we're waiting for regulators, the Council of Medical Schemes, to introduce low-cost benefit options. So what this means is that primary health care or medical insurance allows you to purchase a hospital care, very carefully, a hospital care product or your day-to-day -day product separately or you can combine them. Because these products are exempt from providing prescribed minimum benefits, they're cheaper and more affordable. And that is simply what the differences are. Medical schemes must provide for 27 chronic conditions, the 271 uh, conditions, as you know, 
plus major medical and hospital care, and then you add your day-to-day -day cover afterwards. So that's the simple differences. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Please do stay with us. And if you'd like to call us, our number will be on the screen, but I will give it 011-4840468. You can also email me on brian at bdtv.co.za. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly.